Welcome to episode number 271 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill. I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. And on this awesome episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be talking about running open source on your mobile device. Our love for open source doesn't just stop with the desktop. Woohoo! We're going to hook you up with all our favorite apps. Then we're going to check out GNOME 42. Plus, we have our famous tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching. Just a quick reminder, we have a new show channel for Destination Linux, so if you are listening on the podcast version and you're not subscribed but you don't use the YouTube anyway, go ahead and subscribe just so we can get those numbers up there because that's a little bit important for some features that we'd like to have, so go ahead and do that anyway. But if you are using YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the new Destination Linux channel because all of the episodes are being published there. Also, you could still be subscribed to the main channel because we're going to be posting clips and all the funny stuff that you can see in quick highlights from the shows. Can we have one of those fancy animations that show like the finger slowly going across to the subscribe button and then it clicks the bell, you know, for notifications? Can we, can we do that? Can you make one of those? Because I see I other YouTube channels have it. Why can't we? <laughs> I don't necessarily want to because you're adding work for me. But yes, it will be in the vid in the episode for the Aww. publish. 100%. I nice. will be can doing you this. make it? Can you use this? You make it my actual finger. You can use this animation. There, there you go, Michael. <laughs> I don't think that would work as well because <laughs> I would have to convert your hand in like a so weird... So you're saying Linux that can't roots. do it, Michael. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Yes. That Challenge makes, accepted. I'm saying that the logic it. of your finger on the opposite way of the screen does not really work that way. <laughs> like, I don't figure it out. All right, I can't sure. wait to see you accomplish Aww. that. In our community <laughs> feedback this week, we have an email from Valon020 who writes us to say, Hello, I'm still having trouble. So Valon had reached out to his prior, keeping a stable ongoing installation of Linux past a month or so. I've distro hopped from KDE Neon User Edition to Kubuntu 21.10. Keep in mind that what I'm about to explain is almost the same behavior as in KDE Neon. I recently installed Kubuntu 21.10, and for a couple of weeks, the installation worked without any problems. One day, the Wi-Fi would start to disconnect. I'd have to keep on reconnecting over and over. After turning on the PC the next time and booting the desktop, the cursor would move extremely slow. The keyboard at this point is completely non-responsive. This is when I have to press the reset switch on the case. At this point, I can start to use Linux just fine. Basically, every time I install Linux, the same behavior persists, and the installation only lasts for a couple months before the symptoms occur. I can always install the distro with no problems, and everything is fine for a couple of weeks. Sounds like updates are causing the issue because this happens in a timely manner. Uh, they have a Fractal case, an Asus HC850 Gold power supply, Asus Tough Gaming B550 Plus motherboard. So that was a clue for me right there that I can get into here in a second. But Michael, what are your thoughts on this email first? Well, first, thank you very much for the email. And this is an interesting issue because it seems to be a regression on upgrades. And I've I've never really seen this kind of thing happen in a consistent thing for across multiple distributions. However, um, in your email, you said, every time I install Linux, but based on this email, it seems like you've only tried Ubuntu-based distributions. And this makes me curious if it is an Ubuntu-related issue since almost all Ubuntu derivatives pull updates directly from Ubuntu itself. So maybe there's something that's um, not working with your hardware that is being pulled in from that. So I'm curious. So 
you know, I would recommend trying a different distro family instead, such as Fedora or OpenSUSE. This anything that's a, just a different family is just to see if that is the case. So if, if it's not happening for those, then it would be more, you could kind of narrow it down to being an Ubuntu-based thing. But uh, I do think that it's it's possible that it, you, you mentioned there's a hardware thing. So Ryan, what were you talking about with the, the, the potential hardware? Well, he has a relatively modern machine with the B550 motherboard and the AMD Ryzen 5 5600 CPU in there. One of the interesting things is there is a particular version of the motherboard, the one that this individual has, which there is a lot of people complaining about getting uh, the drivers to work with Wi-Fi and also Ethernet. And doing some additional research, I found that on Realtek's actual website, they actually supply a driver for Linux, not just Windows or Mac OS, but for Linux to update this Realtek component in there for the Ethernet. So one thing to try so we can start ruling some things out because that's the number one key to troubleshooting is you start have to rule things out to figure out what it is, is to download this Realtek driver there, update it and try the Ethernet port and see if you're still having issues with your internet or if you're losing any connectivity there. And then if we know that's not the case, you can also try a Wi-Fi USB, a separate USB adapter, something that's different from what's on your motherboard and see if you're having issues there. I'm guessing you're having some type of hardware conflicts and there's a version of the B550 that uses the Intel version of chipset mm -hmm. for the Wi-Fi and the Ethernet. And that one has no issues, but the one you particularly have uses Realtek and it does have issues. And I also agree very much with what Michael's saying. You need to try a different distro family. Ubuntu has a lot of great support out there, especially if you have older machines and things. But when it comes to hardware enablement, they are not the best by a long shot. Something like a Fedora and OpenSUSE Tumbleweed uh, would probably serve you much better, or even Pop! OS for that matter, if you want to stick to the Ubuntu family, because at least they try to do a lot more hardware enablement than your standard Ubuntu and give that a try and see if that works for you. Yeah, Realtek has had, it, it, there's certain models of their chipsets have had issues on Linux for <laughs> forever. Mm -hmm. And I know recently in the last few versions of Ubuntu, some of those have been fixed, but not all of them. Um, I've had issues also with Realtek, even on um, Arch systems. So oh, yeah. it's, yeah, it, it can be a thing. Sometimes there's just a chipset that's, you know, honestly just made for, they, they make it and make drivers for Windows. And even that's though they it. have drivers yeah. for Linux, they're still not, you know, they're still not compliant. So that's definitely a thing. And there is a possibility, another thing to consider is that you may have a hardware issue on your motherboard or otherwise, and that's not fun to think about. But I think, I think like what Ryan and Michael say, saying, I think really trying another distro, troubleshooting your Ethernet and Wi-Fi driver, and, and try a different, try a USB dongle, Wi-Fi dongle. Yep. It's definitely, that's, that was a really good suggestion, Ryan, because <laughs> I've done it before myself. Oh yeah. Too. Yeah. I've had to do it too, to get certain laptops <laughs> to work. Times. Sometimes you yeah. have to get that dongle in order to get the drivers you need so that things enable at times it's less frequent now than it's ever been in the past, but it does happen. And it's really not yeah. Linux's fault. The manufacturers don't make the stuff available there, but your exactly. point, Jill, about having another hardware issue is a really valid one. And it's one, a lot of people don't want to consider a lot of times but you could actually be having a additional hardware issue that's creating these random freezes and lockups and keyboard issues mm -hmm. and things like that. So don't rule out that it's yeah. a Linux thing in there. Unless, again, you've tried another operating system, Windows or something, and you don't have that issue at all. Uh, mm -hmm. But make sure you're giving them equal time 
right? Because if you just install Windows and it doesn't happen right away, doesn't mean that issue's not there and you can still have a hardware issue there. But I think if you follow these steps, we're going to be much more able to help you in the future with this issue because we'll have started to rule out some of these major contributors that possibly could be. <laughs> Troubleshooting is an art that we're, we are constantly learning on a daily basis. <laughs> That's right. And crazy things happen there, but we love yeah. hearing from our worldwide community. We love emails like this. We know what's going to happen after this. We give our thoughts and suggestions, but the community is also going to jump in and provide all their thoughts and suggestions and other things you can look at. There might be somebody with your exact setup that knows exactly what the problem is and can help you. That's why we have a community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee or bubbly, sit down on your nearest stool and send us an email at comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join on the community discussion, you can post questions like this on our forum and you can get interactions from all around the community by joining the DLN community forum at dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. And with DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs. I mean, the amount of tutorials they have is just fantastic, and they keep them updated. It's just awesome to be able to reference those whenever you need to. And also, they have a bunch of just other services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. So get, get support at every stage, too. With the, Whether you have a team of one or a team of a 1,000 people, you get all of this great with a simple, powerful cloud computing platform at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Well, actually, it's better than free because you get a $100 free credit on DO, when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So you can get all of this great stuff to be able to be on their awesome cloud platform and try whether you want to have a small droplet, a bunch of different small droplets to try out all sorts of different software, or you want to have a massive droplet with that $100 free credit, you can do that by going to do.co slash tux2022. And I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So today we're going to talk about open source on that computer that you carry around with you every day, or maybe you have several like I do your mobile device. <laughs> so there are hundreds of apps and going through each category would be honestly impossible to list in an hour show for sure. So please feel free to tell us your favorites in the comments or on our wonderful discourse forum. So what we're gonna do today is talk about the great open source apps that we are actually using on our phones right now. <laughs> Nice. And our teacher said, you're not going to be able to carry a calculator with you everywhere. All right. Yeah, yeah we were. Ah, so challenge true. accepted, teacher. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the first category we're going to get into is browsers. So what browsers does everyone use on their phones? This one's easy. And if you watch my videos, you're using this browser too. You're using the DuckDuckGo browser, people. The reason is because you need to sign up for their beta of app tracking protection, especially if you're on Android. And it also has email protection built in as well. I say especially because DuckDuckGo browser built in the app protection that Apple kind of did on their devices so that you had control over whether apps are going to track you. I've mentioned this on shows before. 
And if you check out my video, you can see some of the examples, but it is like, I knew Android tracking was bad, but I had no idea. Like I was literally jaw dropped to the floor, shocked at how much these apps track banking apps, trying to hit your location 5,000 times a day. Like these things are insane. What is going on in your phone with these apps? And so I recommend number one, that a lot, instead of installing a bunch of apps that you try to utilize the browser version. And I talk about this on my channel in the masterclass for privacy as well to go to sites that you want to see. So for instance, if you're a Twitter person, go to twitter.com in the browser using the DuckDuckGo browser and view Twitter there. And DuckDuckGo also has a feature that allows you to take a web page and put it as an app on your home screen so it can act like an app, meaning it'll open that browser page every time you click on it, but it'll give you a little icon as a shortcut. The reason why a lot of these menu, these companies that create apps want you to use the app is because they get a lot more information from you when you install that app. And that's why you'll see on Twitter and other things, even though it works just fine in a browser, it'll keep popping up like, you want to try our app? Please use our app. Please, user, use our app. Because they want to get so much data from you, then get your location, other things there. But for me, DuckDuckGo browser, that's the best mobile browser out there. And immediately go into the settings and sign up for the email protection, which gives you that alias email address. So nobody gets your real email address. And then uh, you can sign up for your app protection and you can actually track and see which apps on your phone are tracking you and what services they're tracking you with. Are they using Adobe? Are they using Google? What analytic services are they using to track you is in there as well. And it gives you a lot more control of your phone. So that's interesting. And when I saw that video about the DuckDuckGo browser, I did download that that browser and I use Firefox instead. So um, I use the Firefox browser <laughs> because, because Firefox is awesome and, and I, I'm a big fan of it. I've been using it forever. So it just made sense that I use the mobile version too. But I don't just use the regular Firefox browser. I use the Firefox nightly because I'm on the edge and because they, the nightly versions are, you know, they're, there's, they're not actually that problematic in terms of like support or whatever. They do also have beta the releases and whatnot, but those are very close. I just want the oh, features. So you're faster. using the arch of browsers. That's interesting. But cool. You could, ah, I guess you could good. say that. I would say it's more like the tumbleweed. <laughs> good point, um, Ryan. <laughs> I'd say it's more like the tumbleweed, but okay, sure. Yeah, um, right here, right here. <laughs> but respectable. The, <laughs> but the 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 Firefox nightly browser is what I use, and I also like the point you said about doing the apps of like the homepage uh, buttons that you can do. And I do that with Firefox because there's a similar feature, but I just wanted to like kind of tweak what you suggested because the Twitter uh, app thing, no, tweetdeck.twitter.com is what people should use because TweetDeck is fantastic yes. and it is the best Twitter uh, platform app client thing ever. And uh, if people don't know that it still exists, it does. And it's awesome. You are the king of proprietary uh, social networking stuff, so I'll totally <laughs> respect your opinion there. Jill, what browser? What? <laughs> hey, Ryan, you use Twitter, too. Hey, <laughs> you use Twitter more than I do. <laughs> what? What is happening? Jill, you are team Ryan here. You are not team Michael. You have... Yeah. You Listen, me and you, Jill, we're on this side of the bridge. Michael's on this side of the bridge. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you use Twitter way more. And I actually, what's funny is that you just a couple days ago, maybe yesterday, I don't know, you posted about watching the Halo show, and I was like, wait, there's a yeah. Halo show? What? So yeah. I, I plan to be watching that soon too because you, you are on Twitter a lot, and therefore I noticed that. Thank you. 
<laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Jill, can we please get to your browser? <laughs> so I love Firefox as well. Firefox, the classic. I have uh, played around with Firefox Nightly as well, like Mike Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my, it is probably my all-time favorite open source browser. But I also like uh, the DuckDuckGo uh, browser, and I found out of, about, about that because of Ryan and his wonderful video he made. Thank you. And I, I like I like the little the fire animation yes. <laughs> when you when you get rid of tabs. That is so cool. So yeah, if you have yeah. you know when you when you're on mobile, this happens to me a lot. I'm looking something up and then I close that browser down real quick, and then the next thing is yeah. I open another, I open the browser again, open another window, and do that. But you end up having like twenty, thirty windows open when you actually stop and look at all of them. Well, in the DuckDuckGo browser, they have this fire icon. And if you click that, it burns everything. And that includes so any awesome. cookies or anything that's stored in there. Now, you do have an option when you're on a site to say that you want it to be fireproof. So you can fireproof a site that you want to keep the cookies and settings in. But if you don't fireproof it and you click that burn button, all of the browsing stuff is gone. It's pretty and, fire. And Jill mentioned that there is a effect that everything burns when you click the button. Right? Yeah. yeah. I now will have to play with that app more. Just to, <laughs> that just was to what see convinced that. you was yes. the animation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I get yeah. it. I get it. I, I need to have the, the, the value of the browser, but also the funness of burning tabs. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so much fun. Yeah. And uh, like uh, Joshua Strobel in chat, he said he uses Vivaldi on mobile, and I also use Vivaldi as well because I have it synced with all the things. It's not completely open source, but mostly open source, and we love Vivaldi. But there's another browser that I love to use um, that I just found out about actually within the last few months is the Privacy Browser, browser I've been enjoying a lot lately, and um, I discovered it on F-Droid. What's interesting is it uses the Mojik search engine by default, hmm. and you have a, what's really neat about it, uh, the privacy browser besides uh, Mojik search, is that there's an easy option to, to click for surfing pages in dark mode, which is really nice. You don't have to yeah. install extensions or anything like that, which is really nice. And it is focused on user privacy, thus its name, the privacy browser. And it was neat because on their website, they talked about they had two primary goals, and one was to minimize the data that is sent to the internet, and to, and the other is to minimize the data that is stored on the device. So nice. I was really happy about that. It's a lot like uh, the DuckDuckGo browser philosophy. Yeah. And it's really neat. Uh, they have a really cool feature that you can easily turn on and off JavaScript per page by clicking. There's a shield logo next next to the URL address. And I found that that just very, very convenient and easy to use. And, and right there, you don't have to go searching for it. And yeah. I love how fast and nimble it is. It's just, I've really well, been I've enjoying it. <laughs> yeah. Now, there, there is one I am really excited about, that, that when we did the episode where we were talking about desktop browsers... And I mentioned one of the critiques is that none of the browsers that weren't mainstream didn't have a mobile app. Someone sent me an email saying Waterfox is working on a mobile app version of Waterfox, awesome. which I was pretty excited about. Yeah, but there. So that that's not out yet, things. but I'm very excited to check that one out uh, in the near future when they get that out. So the next category we have is 2FA, two-factor authentication. Michael, what are you using for two-factor authentication? I use free OTP and also Authy. Hmm, so, Authy, Authy, Authy. Open source, Authy? 
They're an open source. Not exactly. Not, not, oh. not exactly. It is. It is useful, but it's not everything on my list is open source. A lot of it okay. is, right. but not everything. So actually, free OTP was developed by Red Hat, right? I believe so. I believe that's I have the case. no idea. <laughs> One of the two-factor authentications was done by Red Hat, I believe. Someone, yes, N- Neil has confirmed I was correct. It was done nice. by Red Hat there. Well, let's so you do can that check again. Nice. Let's do that question again, and then I will act like I knew. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Michael, isn't free OTP developed by Red Hat? Well, why, yes, in fact, it is. Thanks, Neil, for answering that question for me. I mean, Michael. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, yes, it was. It was I totally did it alone. Yes. Mm-hmm. Hey, Neil's in our virtual stadium in the skybox. Thank That's you, why Neil. I love Neil. Yes, Neil was on it like fire there. So you've got Authy and Free OTP in there. Now, Bitwarden has a two-factor authentication, one-time password option as well. Do you utilize yeah. that too? That's what I use. Yes, one time the one time uh, t- temporary the the TOTP stuff I use that quite a bit depending on what pla- what services and whatnot that allow me to use it. Uh, not everything has support for two FA, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But unfortunate. The, every time I have a, an option that does, I do try to switch it up. And I also like to do it with different apps because the reason I use Authy and Free OTP is because I like to have not all of my you know biscuits in one basket or whatever it's called. Biscuits in a basket. Um, I don't know what it's called. It just it 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 flowed right for some reason, <laughs> and I went with it. You really ruined these sayings. Like two biscuits in a bush are better than a Sunday yeah. in your hand. <laughs> like what are you talking about, Michael? Okay, that's the first time I've, bu- I've butchered one of these. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna no no no. I am making a new saying: biscuits in the baskets. That because it just flows so well. That is a new saying, and now I guarantee you that it's going to catch on. Basket, it's going to catch on for sure. Okay, or we could use the old school one: chicken in the basket, kicking out the dough. It's from a song. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know what either of you are talking about. So I'll go to my two-factor authentication (laughs) choice, which is Agus. I also use Bitwarden. Uh, one-time passwords as well from time to time. But Aegis, and I don't know if this is how you say its name, honestly. It's A-E-G-I-S. But I it's always an open say source. Aegis, but I have no Aegis. idea either. Yeah. Either way, it's a really nice open source two-factor authentication tool. It's only for Android. Unfortunately, they don't have an iOS version as well. But what I like to do is I back up my keys here utilizing another app we'll talk about later for storage because this is all offline. So it's all done on your phone. So one of the big things with two-factor authentication is they do give you emergency recovery codes and things that people probably don't save, uh, but should be saving somewhere. Uh, and so this has a backup option to backup offsite if you need to, encrypted, of course. And I love this tool. It's very effective, very easy to use. It's got all of the camera options for queuing the Q- or for scanning the QR code and for um, delivering you know, different names and different icons and things for the app so you can quickly open it and get your two-factor authentication code that you need for the source. So I use a combination of those two there, Bitwarden and Aegis or Aegis, which either one it is. 
Well, next up on the dock is communication. What apps do we use for communication? We're doing so well with our communication this episode that I yes. think that we, we could just talk about this show as that's the solution. But uh, I Yay. use a couple of things, and I think we all use similar stuff. I mean, it's kind of yeah. easy to say that we all use something because we're all we're talking, business talking yeah, to together yeah. about yeah. shows and whatnot. <laughs> but uh, my go-to at the moment is currently Element. That is what uh, Element slash Matrix. And I know some people, you know, consider Matrix to be separate and Element is just like a client, but it also is kind of the most featureful client. That's why I usually refer to it as Element. But uh, Element slash Matrix is the thing that I use most of the time. I also have some other things that I don't really want to use, but some people are still on it and you kind of, you know, you use what is there. Facebook Messenger. Go ahead and say it, Michael. Not a chance. (laughs) I'm proud of you. I thought for sure you were going to do a Facebook Messenger. Telegram is the one that actually kind of bothers me. I still have Facebook Messenger. I immediately said like I I quit using Facebook years ago and the people were like, hey, could you talk to me on Facebook Messenger? No, no. If you want to talk to me, use something else. I'm not doing it. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) So I use uh, Element as well. We use it here on the Destination Linux Network for all our communications and have fallen in love with it. But I also use uh, Jitsi on mobile and uh, Mm -hmm. we use Jitsi here on the network. And Signal. Signal is actually a great, you know, text uh, SMS client client that I found out about it because of Ryan. It's another uh, great and open source and secure platform that I yep. really have been enjoying. I also use Signal as as much as I can, but it's it's limited because of the way it's structured. That I, so I can't use it for everything. So that's why if it's like you know really super important thing with like family member or whatever, then Signal uh, or Element. But I also you mentioned Jitsi, and we use Jitsi for our uh, recording stadium, our virtual mm-hmm. stadium that the patrons can join us, that they're joining us through Jitsi. So we use that every week for the shows. And uh, I think that it is, you know, there are some pros and cons to it, but I do enjoy the fact that we actually have an option for an open source WebRTC client like that. So Ryan, yeah. of course you use all of these things. I mean, we yep. even heard of them, some of them from you. <laughs> uh, yeah. What are, uh, what's another one that you might use? Well, a lot of people don't like Signal because you have to give it your phone number. I will tell you, by the way, I like Signal. And one of the things I like is that you can integrate all your text messages into Signal on an Android device. So it'll have an option where that's the only app you use. Now, if the other person isn't on Signal, you're not going to have the encryption features that Signal has by default, but it gives you one app to open instead of having to open one messenger app to talk to some of your friends and another messenger app to talk to your friends who are more privacy focused. You've got one all inclusive where all your text messages just come from or go into signal. And then you can also send your friends a reminder when they're not on signal to say, Hey, you should sign up for signal, which if you're one of my friends, you probably get annoyed with a lot, but there's another option if you don't want to use your (laughs) phone number to sign up And that is Session. And Session is essentially kind of a clone of Signal, Mm -hmm. but doesn't require the phone number set up. And the team behind Session is doing an amazing job setting this up. And they're rolling updates on a regular basis. And it was one of the patrons of my show and actually introduced it to me. And we've been doing some chatting and testing with it uh, over the last few weeks and things. And it's just, it's a really cool tool to check out. So if you are not okay with Signal having your phone number, you might want to check out Session, which is kind of a Signal clone. There's still some things to be worked out there, but I have a lot of hope for what Session can become in the future. Yeah, I do like Session. I've had an account for, I think, like a year or something, 
And yeah. uh, there wasn't, I didn't know that many people on Session, so it was, I didn't really use it that much. And then Ryan said, hey, have you ever heard of Session? Yes. You have an account? Yes. Let's use it. Like, okay, perfect. <laughs> so yeah. now I can use it. So that was great. Yeah, it keeps getting better and better, which I love. But yeah, yeah, I think that these apps are all all great in in some ways, and I think they're very useful. And I'm I'm a big fan of Signal. I I wish Signal would kind of like make adjustments for how they structure it. But I think that the way that Session is doing it in a similar way, but also doing it with a without we're needing the phone number is a very important piece. So I, I think if anybody wants that, it's definitely check it out. Yep. But let's talk about social media because everyone loves mm-hmm. social media. We already found out that Ryan loves Twitter. So we, we, <laughs> we need to talk about <laughs> we need to talk about <laughs> social media and like what apps do we use for social media? Uh, so let's start with Jill. What do you use? Well, I use Tusky for Mastodon. That's one of my favorite clients for the open source Mastodon and nice. the Fediverse. And I do use Twitter, but of course that's not open source. <laughs> but I use Twitter I think every okay. day for the Destination Linux Network. <laughs> so we we like to promote open source because open source is awesome as a philosophy, and there's a lot of great apps, and that's why we're talking about that there is a ton of open source. But there are some times where it's not always going to be open, and that's okay yeah. too. So Ryan, True. what other proprietary social media do you use? <laughs> Facebook Messenger is just my favorite. And then TikTok and no. Oh, perfect. Those. Oh, yeah, um, TikTok. Yes, we all have TikTok. Yeah, I, I, I don't have TikToks. Don't say we all have oh, TikTok, Jill. I am not on I TikTok. I will it. never be on TikTok. We will get him on oh, TikTok, people. We need to, I will we need never to be on that. He's going to do some dances on TikTok. If there's a Don Geek on TikTok, it's someone pretending to be me because I don't have no TikTok. <laughs> no, nor do I have Facebook or any of that junk. I do have Twitter, which is my last holdout. I'm trying to get people to move to something else. Mastodon, of course, using the Tusky app. I think the Tusky app and Mastodon are fantastic. I also have been trialing out Minds. Minds.com is something I'm playing with. I'm going to do a video on in the future. Um, this is the concept of this is a heavily community moderated and filtering capabilities social media site. So I don't know if it will work. A lot of times these type of social network movements get iterated with extremists and weirdness and stupidity, but I'm hoping with the concept of user-controlled filtering, moderation, and community flagging and things, Minds could be a cool place for social interactions in the future. So that's one that I'm playing with uh, as well. Very cool. Uh, I'm, I've looked at Minds before, and I am interested in it. I haven't signed up for it, but I'm, I might in the future uh, just to kind of play around. But I use FetiLab. I think I'm the only person on the show who uses FetiLab for my Mastodon. And I cool think name. it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great fun. Name. And it was, it was called something else before they switched to Vetti Lab. I don't remember what that was, but, um, I, I used Tusky at one point, but for some reason, I don't even remember the reason I chose to go with Vetti Lab, but I did, you know, there's that. So I use it for my Mastodon stuff and it's uh, it's a great tool for that. I also use Riff is fun and I don't know if it's open source or not. I couldn't find it, like the information mm-hmm. about that at all. So it's probably not, but I, I don't know. Uh, but Riff is Fun is formerly Reddit is Fun, so it's a Reddit client, and uh-huh. it's a the uh, what's the uh, recursive acronym? It's a recursive acronym. So oh. Riff is Reddit is Fun is Fun. So that's why it's that. So, but that's so fun. Not really. The reason but. why they did that is because Reddit said you can't call your application Reddit is Fun. You can't use Reddit. I gotcha. So they're like, okay, whatever. It's Riff then. And uh, it's a very nice application. And if you are if you're a fan of a user of Reddit, 
it is a good tool for that because you can have multiple accounts and all that fancy stuff. So that's why I, I will tell you, though, to be careful, because I paid for an app to use Reddit and that app tracked based on the DuckDuckGo was had more advertising tracking than the free Reddit app itself. Oh, wow. So you have to be really careful, even if you're paying for an app, because one of the things I'm like, I will pay to not be tracked. I will give you money to leave me alone. But I found out that the one particular app I was using was actually tracking me a lot more than the standard even Reddit app on your device. So be careful with some of those Reddit clients out there. It can be dangerous. I have no idea if this one is or not. So I now need to check. Yes, I need to check. So our next category is media players. VLC. (laughs) It's easy. I mean, VLC. VLC. (laughs) Yep. VLC. (laughs) You've got to have VLC on your phone. You can download VLC on your phone. I love VLC. We talked about VLC in a prior episode just like the other week, right before the Emma uh, interview in there. I mean, you can have VLC on your phone. How cool! And, yeah. and it's great because they, like you can for honorable mention. Also, MPV is on your phone now. I didn't know that, but yep. uh, I switched to VLC uh, back to VLC after I was using MPV for a very long time. And VLC is just it's just awesome. And in the phone version, it's kind of even better. When I switched to it, I was like, okay, I need a I need a media player on my phone to do special stuff. Like I need to have playback speed control and all this other stuff. And I'm like, I wonder if VLC has it. So I I just installed it. And yes, it solves everything I wanted. Like, okay, yes, I'm in VLC forever. Yeah. <laughs> Everywhere. VL- yep. VLC is awesome. I've used it to stream uh, actually even shows from our very own network on my mobile device. I love it. And also M-Player. Yes, the classic M-Player is is available for mobile. And um, I like the speed of M-Player and uh, that it has picture-in-picture mode, the new version, (laughs) which is really nice. And I also use Radio Droid. It's um, a free open-source app for listening to online radio stations and streams. And I do that every night before I go to bed. That's cool. My my favorite radio stations and... Oh, that's cool. Ambient music streams I listen to. (laughs) I'm going to be checking that one out. That sounds pretty cool. It's a great one, and it has really good search feature, too. So it'll search your local radio stations as well as uh, nationwide, and then, of course, worldwide. I'm going to check that one out. Now, I'm going to check it out first, Michael, before you. I'm going to download it. (laughs) Instead of even paying attention to the show, I'm going to download it right now and beat you. Challenge accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Our next category is launchers, and I use App Launcher because, you know, I use GNOME on my desktop. App Launcher is very much like the GNOME experience. It basically has the the little three dots, the you know three rows of three dots, and then you click on it, and you've got all of your quick access apps right there, like you were using the launcher in GNOME. And so I can set up what I want to be my favorites because you know my phone can get crowded at times with different things going on. And so you can set up your own categories or additional folders and things in there. So it's not like launcher that takes over your phone. But it's an additional app that acts as a quick access to some of the icons and things that you need. So it is a open source app as well. So check out App Launcher. Very cool. I will check this out because I'm curious like how the experience works. But I use something that's not open. And it's uh, <laughs> it's called Nova Launcher. And it's kind of reminds me of like the mobile version of Plasma, which is interesting that you're talking about one that's like GNOME. This is the Plasma approach because you can customize everything. 
Like you can have all sorts of like I might the way I do my launcher is very specific to my my preferences and workflow. But also there's certain features that I really got accustomed to because of Nova Launcher that when I try other things, they don't have it. It kind of annoys me. So I had someone tell me like, oh, the defaults of uh, these different insert carrier, you know, manufacturer device, like their UIs are so much better. And I turned it off Nova and I used it for about 20 minutes. Like, nope, hate it. Went back to Nova. And I was like, this is way better. Yeah, especially if you're on a Samsung. Man, those interfaces are dog. <laughs> it's just so bad. It's like yes. a potato yeah. interface, I swear. I, I'm curious, though. One of the problems I had with Nova Launcher is the permissions. And I understand why they need mm. the permissions. But you're giving this thing permissions to everything. everything. And yeah. that always scared me, especially not being open source there. So that's something, I don't know. Somebody can do some research there and see if Nova Launcher is really safe, but that's always scared me to death mm. with Nova Launcher. Jill, which one do you use? Understand. I use Nova Launcher as well. Honestly, I've been using it since Android Cupcake. Yeah. <laughs> so, lo- yep. Very long time since the very beginnings. <laughs> well, alternative stores is the next option that we have here. And you don't want to use Google Play Store for everything, especially if you can get around away from it. I can't root my devices. I know you could put other alternative operating systems on your phone and things, and we're not really covering that here, but I can't put F-Droid. I can't because it's, you know, I work in telecom and there's deals that I can't get away from that stuff. Um, but I know a lot of people do, uh, but I use F-Droid to get a lot of applications for that I want out of the open source community and to search what's coming next in the open source community. So you don't have to have root access or anything else. You don't have to root your device to put F-Droid on it. And it's a really good alternative app store out there instead of Google Play. So I usually check F-Droid first, see if I can get the app there. If I can't, then I'll go yeah. to the Google Play store. Oh, I'm, I'm the same way, uh, Ryan. I use F-Droid or I've been kind of moving over to another alternative to F-Droid, which is called G-Droid. And G-Droid actually has, honestly, has better app discoverability and is organized by topics like newest apps, recently updated, highly rated, and similar to other apps you have installed. Mm. So it's it's easier to find things than an F-Droid. But I still love the classic F-Droid too. It's, it's yeah. we, you know, it's it's the side load for us open source users, definitely. For sure. <laughs> one of the reasons I'll, I, actually, I think I might check out G-Droid because one of the reasons I didn't really like using F-Droid was because it was so hard to find applications. So like if you didn't yeah. know what to search for or what exactly you wanted, even then you'd sometimes have issues of getting the application. So uh, this one sounds, you know, like it solved that problem, mm-hmm. which I'm looking, I'm interested in checking out. There's also another one, which I don't use either, uh, is Aurora. I've heard about that one. And it seems to be a good option for people who want to have like a Google Play approach but not actually use Google Play. Yeah, um, that's nice. Yeah, and then I also use Google Play. So moving on to the next topic is the <laughs> cameras. over that real quick. <laughs> yeah, real, yeah. Little quick, little quick. The next one we're going to talk about is cameras, and I use open camera for my Look stuff. Look at you. You're such an open source so, patriot there. Yes, Yeah. exactly. How's so, doing videos on open camera, by the way, Michael? So yeah. what do you use, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> It's not, I checked it's out not Open best. Camera, and look, I, I got to be honest, Open Camera, I checked it out this week, and I was like, this is, uh, once I did a bunch of settings on it, I was able to take a decent picture out of the box. The picture was horrendous, um, but I, it allows you lots of controls, which is very mm-hmm. cool with your camera that you wouldn't have in another app. The problem was when I switched to the video side of it, like, it 
didn't work at all. And this is with the Google Pixel 6. So it was just like blocky and barely moving and there was no ability to do video. And for me, listen, I'm taking pictures of my kids. Sometimes I want to go from a picture and then switch to a video because they're doing something really cute. And I don't have time to play with apps here. So I just use uh, the default proprietary camera option inside the phone. Oh, uh, Joe, what do you oh, use? Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a kind of a Google fan girl. I just, <laughs> I, I like the features that are in yeah. the, the more modern Google camera app. <laughs> so I, 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 the, the Pixel 6 has this really cool feature called Magic Eraser. It's one of the selling oh, features yeah. for this. Okay, yeah. so I'm at the gym and I wanted to snap a picture of the new weight that I had achieved for the bench. So I snapped the picture and didn't realize because I was all into the moment that there was uh, a lady right on the other machine on the other side who looked at the camera the moment that I hit it because now I look like a creepo taking pictures in the gym, right? <laughs> and the face, her face was just like, like this, right? Like it's shocked. And so I can't use the picture, but I just went into Magic Eraser and poof, she's gone. It's like I didn't mess up and look like a creepo in the gym after all, <laughs> at least based on the picture. So. I love the magic at, eraser at least feature. The picture doesn't know. Yeah, <laughs> she knows. She knows, Aww. but the picture doesn't. That's the important part. But that, that's a interesting. I, I didn't know about that feature. That's a really cool feature, and I do think that the the Google Camera app is a very powerful camera app. And yeah. when I do the video, I uh, I will switch to it. I like Open Camera because of its control of being able to like change the ISO and the shutter speed and all that sort of stuff. You can be very granular on the photo parts, but the video parts, uh, yeah, I have to agree, yes. Yeah. So our next category is file storage. Ryan, what do you use for file storage on your phone? I use mega.nz a lot. Nice. I love mega.nz. Like it <laughs> is the app is so well designed. It works on mobile, works on my desktop. I just to me it's one of the easiest to set to automatically upload my photos cuz I never use a cloud service. I don't care if I'm using my Apple iPhone, I'm not going to use their cloud and I'm never going to use a Google cloud service. I'm going to use my own thing. Uh, Mega NZ has options in there where I can automatically tell it, just upload any photos that I take into Mega NZ. So I always have a backup of those important photos for my kids or other things. And then I have my Synology, which is not open source, mm-hmm. but that's my NAS that I have in my home. And when I get into range of that, when I get into my home's network, the Synology also does a backup of my wife's phone and my own phone uh, pictures into it, which is really cool as well. So I have those two options that I use. Michael, what do you use? I also use mega.nz and also my NAS. However, mm-hmm. I don't do it automatically like that or consistently in any way at all. So it, whenever I have the time or feel like it, I move it. But otherwise... Well, you're not, you don't have pictures that... You don't have super important pictures and stuff to back up either. What are you talking about? Yours are just selfies. <laughs> Like that's exactly, exactly. <laughs> you talked about like the previous episodes where I have so many selfies. Exactly, yeah. they're all important. Every selfie is a moment captured of my life. It's a masterpiece. That is important. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> this is me eating a Sunday. This is me typing. Oh, I wish I could. Nation Linux. Jill, <laughs> yeah. what do you use? Yeah, so I also have a NAS as well, but I'm I more use that. If I'm going to be traveling along for for multiple days away from home, 
when mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, most of the time I'm home, so I'm not needing to use it all the time locally. And, uh, but the other utility that I love is actually Box. And mm-hmm. Box actually became open source in 2014. Wait, as what? I was re, yeah. They came, became open source in 2014. And I even went to their website to check, double check that. And I kind of remembered that from years ago, but I wanted to, Double nice. check, and because we were doing this show, it was important. Welcome to, to the fan box. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I, I knew Box and like Box dot com was competing with Dropbox for a long time. Yes, I, and I had tried Box Box dot com before, but I didn't know they went open source. That's very interesting. So I'm going to check yeah. that out too. And all their tools, uh, they have other uh, tools that they uh, develop, and they're all on GitHub. Now Neil is saying that Box itself isn't open source, but maybe the app is. Is that what they're referring to in here? Because all the tools that they use to create the app are um, on GitHub. Only the stuff they use to make it's open source. Yeah. In there. Very cool, though. I like that they're transitioning anything to open source. And I think that's a positive move that we should totally be supporting in there. Because Mega.NZ is not open source. Synology is not open source. Of course, you have NextCloud option here as well, which yeah. I've gone back and forth with NextCloud uh, some of the services in Nextcloud are absolutely amazing. Some of it is very wonky and not reliable for me at times. That's yep. just me. And I know people in the community are going to hate me for saying it, but it's just my experience. Maybe I set all the servers up wrong, but I've just had wonkiness with it where it's not trustworthy as a backup, as trustworthy as some of these other things. Now, I'm going to tell you this weekend, I spent time setting up Nextcloud again, and they have added, they have poured a ton of new services and features and things into NextCloud. They're making it easier and easier and better and better. So I'm very hopeful for what NextCloud will be and what it is, but it's just not something with my personal photos and things like that, that I fully 100% trust that I can keep up with the server updates and everything myself yet. But when they get there, I'll be ready to rock some NextCloud. Yeah. I mean, I've tried NextCloud and OwnCloud um, back in the day many times. Um, I haven't tried it lately, so I am curious to see what you're talking about in terms of like the changes they have made. But we, I, I had set up a NextCloud for the network and it just didn't work for me. And like you said, that you might not have set it up right. I guarantee you I set it up perfectly. Probably not. It was probably best. <laughs> but uh, it, it just it w- didn't yeah. didn't flow for what I wanted to do. So that's why we decided to switch away from that. But um, I do think that it has a lot of potential and I, I uh, w- wish them well because I do want it to be the best go-to solution because it is open source and they do approach that philosophy. So uh, also the same thing with OwnCloud if they, they're open mm. source too. So if either one of them, I'm okay with it. They're getting closer and closer. So notes is our next area. And this one's real easy for me because I've talked about this before. It's standard notes. It's standard notes on everything. And that is mainly because of the extension system. So I can make standard notes, whatever I want it to be. So even if you don't like the default standard notes setup, you can go in there with the extensions. If you pay for the premium uh, setup and it is open source, of course, and make standard notes, do whatever you want. If you want to attach files in it, if you want it to look like Word, if you want it to be just Markdown, if you want anything you want, pretty much you can do with the extension system and standard notes. I absolutely love it. I trust it with all of my notes that I'm doing, whether it's personal life or work or other things. It's just a fantastic service and it's very, very reliable. I can trust that when I open it up and I make a note and then I go to my PC, I make a note on my phone and then go to my PC and open that note that all those notes are going to be there and it's synced immediately. And that's very important for me because 
I'm transitioning all the time to different devices within my home. I may have a random idea on my mobile, then I need to go on my desktop and really work that solution out. And I need to have those notes synced immediately right away and be perfect each time. And standard notes delivered that where some of these other options might be good if you're not dealing with a business or other things where it's not important that it's immediately synced or synced perfectly across. But standard notes gives me and delivers that gives me that option. Yeah, I use standard notes as well. I, I love the customizability is also Ryan and, and the reliability. Yeah, it's very important. I've also been uh, started since we interviewed the uh, the executive of Vivaldi. I've been using um, the notes in Vivaldi, which I've enjoyed. And but Michael, what do you use? Well, I don't use standard notes. Um, I've tried it. It's just not my style. And uh, to be fair, also last time I mentioned this, Ryan said, "Have you messed with the plugins?" And no, I still haven't. But uh, it, there is a lot of potential, so I might. But I've used multiple things. And um, I used to use Joplin. Joplin is really cool. Mm-hmm. It, it has a similar value of the the syncability and the mobile app and the desktop applications. But there were a couple things that I didn't really like about Joplin necessarily because you needed a sync server that allows you to you know pull everything from one device to the other and put mm-hmm. it on a server. And that's that's okay in most cases. But I wanted something that was more you know. Uh, more reactive to changes on all the devices and and not have to worry about conflicts as much. And that's why I switched to Obsidian. And Obsidian is not open source, but they do kind of have like an open source philosophy of stuff. So they have a ton of plugins that are all open and they also adopt the plugins into the main application and stuff like that. So there is some level of that, but not the the software itself isn't. Uh, But I do like Obsidian for the same kind of reasons of it allows you to have the files synced immediately depending on whatever change you make on whatever device. So I, that's one of the reasons I like it. But also the fact that it stores all your files locally on the device itself and then does a sync between the two and see if like if there's any changes that need to be made. And then they move all the files on that device. So you essentially have a backup just by using the application. That's why that's one of the reasons I like it is because of that local file part. It's so interesting what we've learned in this show is how much more open source me and Jill are than Michael. All right, let's move to email here. <laughs> I and disagree talk- with that <laughs> statement, sir. Mr. Let's I use the about- camera Aww. from Google. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It has the magic eraser. I mean, come on. Uh, the email is the next category. And for me, I don't have a separate email client on my phone to bring in like the comments, designate all that stuff. I have that on my desktop, but I don't do it on my phone because I have to have work email and then I have my private email stuff as well. And there's already too much dinging and blinging and all that stuff going on and notifications. So I don't, I don't need more sure, of that. Makes sense. So I use the Proton Mail and Tutanota apps are my main personal emails that I use on my actual device. So I just have those two applications and I click them, open them old school. Don't have a mail client to put it all, tie it all together for me. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense. And also ProtonMail and Tuninito are good. We actually had someone from Tuninito mm-hmm. to come onto the show and talk to us. And yeah. that was really interesting. So I'll have that linked in the show notes for those who would like to check out that interview. Uh, but I use K- K9Mail for my apps on my phone. So Ruff, ruff. Yes, exactly. And it's a it's a robot dog for those who are curious what the icon looks oh, like. I did. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So I use this application for the exact opposite of what Ryan was talking about. I do have all of these things combined into one. And it's really nice and also sometimes a bit overwhelming. And Ryan might be right. So 
I'll consider maybe not doing this, but yeah. I do I do like having that option to be able to pull in my applicant my emails from various different accounts because I do have way too many accounts. So we'll try to consolidate it maybe at some point. <laughs> but uh, Jill, what do you use? I also use the uh, canine robot dog Doctor Who mill app. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> No, I like it. It's just, it, it's been around for years on mobile and they make it easy. It's just easy to bring in all my my email accounts into one, one place on my device. Let's talk about something that I know everybody here is going to be using the guaranteed open source stuff for this one. There's no chance it's not going to be. What does everybody <laughs> use for their YouTube you know, consumption? A uh, pass. Jill, what do you use for your YouTube consumption here? <laughs> why you're gonna do that oh i am a google fan girl i do use youtube premium oh, but i have shocking. a very good reason <laughs> very good excuse <laughs> you can call it that i have alternative youtube clients on my phone too okay but i really have been mostly using youtube premium and the reason is is that here on destination linux that's where we stream live and i need to yeah. be able to watch it without commercials Right. Yes. Sure. <laughs> and watch our streams without commercials, you know. So it's important for 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 our work here. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm going to, to basically steal what Jill said and say that reason I have it is because of the work function that yes, we do for work. the show. Yeah. So that's why I use it too, and that's also why I have YouTube Premium to avoid the ads that I need to do for testing, so I don't have to go through an ad every time I do a test. That's exactly yeah. the reason. No other ulterior motives. Me, me three, although I'm not ignoring you guys, I'm just looking up another app that I could use instead so I don't look like I use a proprietary solution. But They're, what's actually installed on my phone is YouTube uh, for business reasons, of course, but I, I also, There's also use... also one called New Pipe. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, New one. New Pipe is awesome. <laughs> yeah. New Pipe, yeah. uh, give me one. <laughs> well, okay, to be fair to you, I also kind of cheated because I just looked at the live chat and someone said that in the, the live yeah <laughs> thank you person so um yeah very much appreciate that so the um new pipe i have tried it and i've tried some other ones that are kind of nice but like i just really i i use this one because there's also a question that people give us of like why do we do our show on youtube why do we publish it on youtube and not on other places and the reason is because you go to where the people where the audience is you know you go to where the platform for where the people can actually consume it and you can't convince people to use something else if they're not ever hearing your message because they're not on that thing so if you want to convince people to do something you kind of have to be there to let them hear the message well because i do a lot of privacy videos i always get the commenter the one that's like oh look at you on youtube talking about privacy lol like listen if it was one of the other platforms, they're on that platform because they already know about privacy. Right. Yeah, knucklehead. That's why I'm over here where all the people who need to know Absolutely. about it are going to yeah. learn about it. Exactly. Anyways, yes. That, that. That's that's exactly the thing. And also, like people are talking about like why you use YouTube Premium because of the ads thing. I like to do it because it does benefit the creators. So I don't get ads, but they still get money from yeah, the, they still the, get the money. payments. So yeah. it's I, I feel kind of... I would feel bad if I just block the ads and then they got nothing for the content they're making uh mm -hmm. you know not even just because we make content too but just in general it just i feel I, I feel like i'm taking advantage of a situation and i would rather not do that so i'm i'm totally fine with the premium stuff yep password managers this one's gonna be really hard for us. <laughs> we're gonna have to really, really dig hard deep 
really and figure hard. out what password manager we oh okay. Bitwarden. 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 What was it called? Oh Bitwarden. Yeah, that's it. Bitwarden. <laughs> yeah. Bitwarden. The only time I don't use Bitwarden is for my older passwords on older sites online. For those I use a floppy disk. <laughs> yep. I mean the perfect security. <laughs> Bitwarden and a floppy yes. disk. Nobody's hacking you. You're no you're set for life. Yeah. That's brilliant. Podcasts. Uh, Podcast. Michael, we've already gone over mine. What one do you use? Did we go over yours? Yeah, I, don't, I, don't... I mentioned it real quick. Yeah, you just go oh. back and check the edit. Uh, you no, use, I will. Ch- I will no. check the edit and also Ryan. call you out right after I finish mine. But <laughs> uh, podcast attic is what I use. It's not. Well, it's not. Yeah, I don't know too. if it's open source or not. I don't think it is. But I. I do. Oh, I don't use that one. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. I I use Podcast Attic. I also have tried Tenapod or Antenapod, but I mm-hmm. I I just kind of got used to doing Podcast Attic and just you know I just stuck with it. Is Antenapod open source? I think so. Isn't it, Jill? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it that's is. the one I use. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two that are open source that I use, and one is Antenapod, which I really <laughs> like too. But lately, I'm mostly using Podcast Go, just because I like that it has a dark mode. It's got a good search feature. I, I like that it has a timer too, so that um, when I'm listening to to uh, a podcast in bed, I can tell tell the uh, player to stop playing playing the podcast oh, at nice. you know a half hour hour, which yeah. I need I I need to sleep good. <laughs> Because I don't like yeah. the noises going on in the background when I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> I like that. Uh, th- those features is what I as well. If if, if it's yeah. a podcast app, it has to have they be able to turn it off at a certain amount of time. Exactly. Also, I need the playback speed to be completely controlled so I can have it yes, really fast. There's if, that on too. some podcasts. Yeah. And then, you know, there's other you know also uh, being able to save where you are in the podcast incredibly mm-hmm. important. It's really and nice. It's it's vital in a podcast app, of course. Uh, so. Uh, before we move on, Ryan, what do you actually use? I already went through I don't, Spot- I, Spotify. Yeah. I just yeah. use Spotify. Spotify? Spotify. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, it's so open sourcery type. People so, use it sometimes. <clears throat> oh, open source people use it sometimes. Okay, that's what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just convenient to have all my music and podcasts and everything right there in one app. And so, yeah, I'm lame. I use Spotify. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I did type that yeah. in the thing, but I didn't no, say No, you literally that. typed because I'm lame next to my option in the notes, Michael. <laughs> okay. You literally typed that out. Right. See, I didn't give you a hard time for all of your, every category you used. Yes, you did. Every option. single thing. I totally did. <laughs> Everything. Every oh, okay. Well, in that so. case. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's actually... It's a good thing, Ryan, because we are on Spotify here too at there the Station Linux that's Network, right. and you Spotify. need to keep track. Yeah, that, that, that is it's true. business purposes, Spotify. Michael. I yeah. need to make sure. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> business purposes. Yep, hundred percent. So, uh, unfortunately, we had a, you'll see a cut right there, and that's because Ryan uses Spotify, and that broke our recording system, and that <laughs> which is so evil. That's so evil. <laughs> okay, that had nothing to do with it, but. Whatever it's, we're back and let's continue on with the conversation. So I wanted to move on to the RSS feeds because RSS feeds are super powerful, and a lot of people don't know that podcast apps all use RSS feeds in order to function. So to transition from podcast to RSS feed, you see what I did there? So nice. What RSS feeds do you use, Ryan, or what a client? I mean, do you use? I use Newsblur to get my RSS feeds, and this is very important to me. I got write shows. 
and I need all the latest news and stuff that's coming in from a variety of sources, hundreds of different sources, all categorized into areas that I need. If I need to write something for hardware addicts, I need all of the news that's coming in from the technology hardware world. If I'm doing something writing destination Linux, I need all of the feeds coming in from every news source of what's going on in Linux at that time. And even pull from social forums as well. Like I want to pull from Reddit and other places and see what people were talking about to get ideas for shows. And so for me, news blur allows me to do all of that. I also do a patron only podcast for those who are patrons of the DOS geek channel, where they get a weekly kind of security uh, summary and update of what's going on in the security world. And so I just pull up news blur. It's very casual and just go through some of the top things that are going on there. It's a very nice service and it's open source as well. That's very cool. Uh, I didn't even know about the specific patron podcast, so we need to talk about that kind of thing you know, oh, later. No, after. no, no. You oh, know. Yeah, get to know about it. His security audio podcast is awesome. I've been yeah, there to you it. go. So for those who are interested, check that out. And also News Blur. That's, that's, I've heard of News Blur. I've not used it. I was always right. kind of worried about it might make it hard to read some stuff because it's blurry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> cute dad joke. No. Uh, anyway, so I use uh, Tiny Tiny RSS, which is kind of funny because the name of the application is Tiny Tiny RSS, and it makes me laugh because it's like when you see someone who is very big being nicknamed Tiny, because it's not very tiny. It's actually pretty robust and powerful, and requires a server in most cases to be able to actually use it. So. I don't know why the name is that, but it is that. And I've been using it for so long. Like, I actually switched to Tiny Tiny RSS when uh, Google Reader was canceled. I don't remember when that was, but that's how long I've been using it. So, if anybody. That's a service everybody seemed to love was Google Reader. Yeah, I didn't use I it back that. in the day when it was popular, but when they took that away, people were upset. Like, that was a oh, go to yeah. app mm-hmm. for them that made them really popular, and they just killed it like pretty much everything else they make they out there make that it. they kill. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it, that's interesting. So tiny, tiny RSS. I remember using your feed for a long time, Michael. You have a really robust RSS feed system, and you gave me access into it. And that's where I used to write a lot of the content from. Was using your stuff, and then I decided I need to go off on my own and create my own categories because I had other things I wanted to pull in. I didn't want to mess up your stuff. But you've got a lot, thousands of feeds going. Yes, I have way too many RSS. because of doing yeah. a weekly news show uh, this week in (laughs) Linux. I also keep up with news in the same way that you're talking about. And it has become a little bit unwieldy. (laughs) There's a ton of stuff there. But uh, I do think that that, I mean, that application has kind of solved what I've wanted for a long time. And it's got filters and labels and all sorts of stuff. So I do uh, enjoy using it. It is not for everyone because if you're just getting into RSS feeds, you might want to have like one that does local because it does require a bunch of setup to get it to go. But yeah. other than that. Yeah. So I use Tiny Tiny RSS too. Uh, that's one that's been on my phone for ages, especially since I started doing uh, video podcasting. And uh, the other thing that I've used and I find as a good RSS client, but in a different way, is uh, Firefox. I've uh, yeah. created a, a category, and then I put all my my favorite uh, websites that I need for like Linux news and and general tech news in there. So, and I check that page, and th- and that works for me as well. 
I just yeah. made my own. <laughs> mm. That's kind of what I used to do back in the day before I met Michael. I just had a yeah. of categories of websites I would go visit. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember that conversation. Yeah. Michael's like, like, hey, have you ever heard of an RSS feed, dude? Like, come on. <laughs> we He brought it up to me. He's like, show me, they show me. He was looking at it like, how do you keep up with all these things, these different sources? And I was like, RSS, what are you talking about? And then it was like a, a light bulb hit and like, you can do so much cool, cool stuff with RSS feeds. Yeah. And also there's even solutions where if an applic- if a website doesn't have RSS feeds, you can kind of use these yeah. tools to force and create ones based on their their, their website display and stuff like that. It, it, it's a very cool. If you've never used RSS feeds, um, be sure to do that. You know, it's not as important as having, make sure you have a password manager, but for me, it's very critical. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Utilities oh. is next. We got to have some good utilities. Oh, yeah. For me, QR scanner. Listen, you go in a restaurant nowadays, they don't have menus, which I'm thankful about because those things were dirty and nasty and disgusting to begin with. People eating, like, especially you go like a Mexican restaurant, people eating nachos over top of the menu, all this crap going all over. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, then, and then they wipe it down with the cloth that they've been using all day and then hand it to the next person. And you, I don't like menus. So I was really happy when restaurants went to this QR scanner method where the table has a QR scanner on it. You scan it, it pulls up the menu on your phone. This is very convenient. I only have to deal with my own germs on the phone. So I use <laughs> QR Scanner, which is an F-Droid app and is open source in there to do all my very QR cool. scanning. Very cool. Yeah. QR codes are very powerful. I use them also, all, a lot of times in marketing and stuff. So I, when I have clients for business and design, I will create them for like, very, I have a client right now that does advertising in a particular location. So create a specific QR code for that location nice. and that sort of stuff. So QR codes are super awesome. Uh, the one I use is uh, a proprietary. So, Jill. Oh, what was that, um, Michael? Proprietor. Huh. I mean, it's right there. Oh. QR scanner, F-Droid. <laughs> will you commit on this show, Michael, to switching to a non-proprietary QR scanner? I will commit to doing this. Yes. Okay. Fantastic. Jill, what, what, QR, <laughs> yeah. what utilities do you use? So, uh, for QR codes, I use the wonderful open source QR and barcode scanner. I found I, okay. I love to use that at the at the restaurants, and you can create uh, QR codes also within the app, which is really convenient. Nice. And I also use Termex Terminal Editor. I love that. Yes, uh-huh. I use that too. Yeah, it's it's an essential on a Linux device. And yes, yeah, we know it's Android, but it's it's core is Linux, and Linux functionality is there. <laughs> so, go. yeah, and you can SSH on it and do a lot of things you usually do on your Linux desktop. Nope. <laughs> so I have a couple utilities I want to talk about. I use AnySoft keyboard. It's a really nice open source keyboard that has tons of great features. I mean, there's oh, the swipe functionality is not quite there, but it's it's getting there. It's pretty good. Mm. It's just it's I used to use swipe that spell with a Y and this the swipe functionality on that one, which is amazing. I'm pretty sure they invented the gesture swiping typing stuff. So it was uh, the best of all of them. So when I switched, I'm like, ah, it's not ex- it's not as good, but it's still pretty good. And uh, but anyway, the other thing I want to talk about is KDE Connect because it is magic. Awesome. It is awesome. I love it. Yeah. People who make KDE Connect, thank you very, 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 very much. It is awesome. So for those who are not familiar, quickly, it is a way to bridge your phone to your desktop. You can share files back and forth. You can control your media players from your phone. You can do all sorts of stuff. You can message even... Message syncing. Message syncing, yes. All sorts of notification syncing, all sorts of mm-hmm. cool stuff. You can even mount your phone via Wi-Fi's, uh, your file system, to your 
computer and manage your computer phone's file system directly on your desktop. So awesome. But one of the cool things that I love about it is that you have a, this is a, this is kind of a, like a pro tip or life hack or whatever you want to call it. You have the, uh, ability to use your device's uh, touchscreen f- as a mouse for a touchpad. You also can use the keyboard of your phone and connect it to sending keyboard stuff to your uh, computer. And the reason why that's cool is because you can use the voice to text that your phone has, and then it will convert it to text on your desktop. Oh, so you can dictate. That's nice. nice. Yeah. So you can dictate with your that phone. That's a life hack there. That's yeah. a good one. Very nice. I, I, I enjoy using that. Yeah. I've I use GS Connect, the GNOME equivalent. Although I've used KDE Connect as well. Doesn't K- doesn't GS Connect require KDE Connect on the phone? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so on yeah. the mobile side, <laughs> you'll still need KDE Connect. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's right. Then- That's why I have KDE Connect. I noticed it on there. I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> 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 so next we have navigation and Michael. Uh, so I went over my navigation tool. Which one do you use? I don't think you did go over your navigation tool. Weird. Um, must be the communication. Hmm. Must have faced um, out. But go ahead and start, Michael. Which one do oh, you use? Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, unfortunately, we're having some connection audio issues apparently. Yeah, like weird. Fr- frequently <laughs> on this totally topic. I went over what I used. I don't know. <laughs> Well, what I what I use something called um, what's it? Uh, Google Maps. That's the thing that I sometimes man use because, really Michael <laughs> shame. Well, okay. What do you use, Ryan? I couldn't hear it, so let's make sure that everybody was aware of it. Well, I use OSM and Plus Maps. Okay. What so do you actually use, Ryan? <laughs> Google Maps. But the point is, I have this on my phone, Michael, and there we go. It needs a lot of work, people. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Like OSM and Plus Maps is a fantastic idea. We need an open source navigation tool. I especially need good navigation tools. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I've been known to be, rumor is, lost a lot at yeah. times. It's a rumor. I can confirm that it's also true. <laughs> yeah. I can there- get lost in a McDonald's parking lot. Like, I'm... <laughs> There was, it was challenged really, here. When he told me this, I was like, he must be exaggerating. So I went to his house and we went to a trip to go get something. And then we're leaving and trying to go back. And he's like, so do you know how to get back? I'm like, yes, yes, I do. We just did this. And like, do you know how to get back? No, I don't. <laughs> now, now, mind you, Michael lives in another state and it was never seen the territory before and knew how to get around better than me who lives in this city because... I am terrible at navigation. It's like my Achilles heel. Everybody has an Achilles heel. Mine's navigation. I get lost everywhere. It's why if I end up going to one of the conferences, Jill's going to have to like take care of me because I'll be lost everywhere. Well, this no is why problem. GPS is amazing, though. I do think that that, that, yeah. that technology is amazing. So It solved my Achilles heel. Yes. What is your issue with the OSM and Plus maps, that, other than the name? <laughs> well, I, I I think it's a really great platform. Yeah, other than the name, I think Hard it's a really say. great platform. It's a great concept. We need this in the open source community. The problem is that because they're not stealing all your personal information and tracking everywhere where you go, it's not as accurate and doesn't have the locations and places I need to go baked into it. For instance, like I put in Best Buy the other day into this, and I think one of the options it showed me was in Dubai. Like it's very not close to me. Okay. Um, so there, it, it just needs 
some work on its algorithm and it's in being able to store things. And I think they could do some things in the interface to accomplish this. One of the things that I thought of when I was using the app was, wouldn't it be great if I could tell it, listen, I want you to track me from my current location to this place I'm going and then store that. So somebody else who's in this area can actually utilize it like from where I'm at to Best Buy or to the gym or wherever and let me store locations. Now, once I get to a place, I can store it, but I don't think it's grabbing the path. So if they would make it really easy on the interface to say, hey, start tracking and store this. This is where I'm going. This is what's there at this place. It made that simple enough to do. I'd be more apt to actually go and do it. Whereas today, like the interface is confusing enough that, I mean, I've stored a couple things in there but it doesn't have a robust feature for capturing this stuff. So I think as an open source community, we can fix that. There's millions of us around the world. We can get all this navigation and data built, but they're going to have to make the app interface easy enough to be able to accomplish that. So I think it's cool. OSM has some really neat options. It is totally not ready for somebody like me yet. Somebody who's more potentially, um, you know, able to get around without getting lost, might be able to use it and get around some of its quirks. But yeah, I use the Google Maps. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Glad we I do that too. <laughs> yeah. I am a Google fan girl, but I do have a quick story I can tell about OpenStreetMap. Now, I used OpenStreetMap on my HP Pre 3 WebOS phone. And I was on an Uber, and this is years ago when Uber and Lyft were a new thing. And we got uh, stuck in the downtown LA area. The driver had to stop because the internet went down and uh, she lost her maps and she was new and didn't know the area. <laughs> so fortunately, I had open street maps and all the data was already downloaded. And uh, that's what we used to get around. And the the driver was amazed. She, she was like, oh my gosh, I need to download that. I said, yeah, because it downloads the maps locally. So yes, <laughs> you that don't is a need, because back it. in the day you had to have the internet to use mm-hmm. Google Maps. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, it really, it saved us from, we were kind of not in the best part of town and it helped us get out. <laughs> yeah. So it's very, it's and, very and Google cool. Maps and Apple Maps can all be wrong yeah. too at times and things. Yes. And put you, mm-hmm. I went Absolutely. to the doctor's office, Michael, this week and uh, I was a new doctor I was going to visit and I ended up in the middle of a field. So like <laughs> oh literally in the middle of a field from the navigation that Google gave me. And then I went to the doctor's office and they were like, oh, did you end up in the middle of a field? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, it happens with Google Maps. Like it sends you to the wrong place. And you know, me, I'm like, this is a really strange doctor. I mean, I know they had cheaper <laughs> prices, but I don't know if I want a doctor in the middle that, of a forest to right? come out of the woods and help treat me here. So, yeah, I mean, not all of them are perfect. And I think OSM yep. is awesome, but it needs some work. And I think the community could help with that work if they would open up the interface to make it simpler. Well, also, they, there, there's also data you can put into OpenStreetMaps itself for uh, the main website of OpenStreetMaps, because I'm pretty sure this is like a third-party Thing. I'm not sure if it's actually a part of OpenStreetMaps, but this it is a really cool concept of being able to you know crowdsource the information. But there's you know we need people to participate in that to actually you know accomplish that goal. But you were talking about you know they're not all perfect. They they have sometimes where one person said in the chat, so you didn't get directions telling you to instruct to, to get a kayak across the Pacific Ocean. And because there <laughs> there has been reports where uh, one of the apps did do that and tell them to do like what yeah <laughs> and then um i had one example where i was going to this place and 
I was completely lost and it was a Google Maps issue. And they said, yeah, so you're sort of close. You're like a mile away. And this happens every single time someone uses Google Maps. And so they, when I called to ask the, the directions, they were like, yeah, we know exactly why you're calling. <laughs> it gets stored wrong with their yeah. services, even though they have cars driving around and everything there. So there's no perfect map option. So there you go. Those are the open source. And in Michael's case, sometimes not open source. And in apps Ryan's that case, you can, sometimes not open source. In, in, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fair, fair. Apps that we utilize. But now is your chance as a community to give us feedback on some apps we need to check out because... There are thousands of open source apps out there. Absolutely. And if you have suggestions for things that we use that are proprietary, that you have a better example that you could use that is open source, please let us know. We would definitely love to know that. Well, this episode, we already talked about Bitwarden as one of our favorite apps. And this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. By the way, we loved them before they ever became a sponsor. It was just like double gold when they decided they were going to become a sponsor too, because we love this open source app here. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. A password manager software allows you peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secure vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, even automatically fill those passwords in the login forms for you. You can access your data across many types of devices. So you can have Bitwarden on your desktop. You can have it on your mobile device like we talked about. You can have it integrated into your web browser. Anywhere you need it, Bitwarden is there. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your device so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for absolutely nothing? Like it's free if you want to, but you can also get their premium account. And there's a new feature, Michael. Tell us about that. It's really cool because this new feature is makes it possible to switch accounts on the same device. So you'd have to have like previously your web browser installed with one account, the desktop application with another account. Now you can just switch them all whenever you want to. So if you have a work account and a personal account on Bitwarden, you can easily just tap a button and switch to whichever one you need for that given time. And it just, it's so awesome. When I saw this, I was like, oh my goodness, I am so happy that this is now a feature. Because, because we is, have a business account yes. and a personal account, and you had to log out one to get in the other before, but now they fixed that, and you can switch accounts on the fly, awesome. Awesome. which is awesome. And if you want their premium account, by the way, it's only $10 per year. $10 per year. Not per month, like every other app, per year here. And you're going to get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, TOTP we talked about. You get that and priority customer support for less than a dollar per month. You can have peace of mind using Bitwarden. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So the great news is GNOME 42 is here. And it includes nearly six months of development work that the team has put into this beautiful experience that they've been working on for the last six months. And there are a ton of new features for you to check out. Unfortunately, Michael and Jill, you won't be able to check them out for probably like six months or so. But I get to check them out right away because I use rolling distros. And so OpenSUSE Tumbleweed already has GNOME 42 in it. Right now, I'm well, actually th- in it. That is cool that Tumbleweed does have access <laughs> quickly. But Ryan, I use Fedora, so I only have to wait like a few weeks, maybe not months. And also not even that, because I can check out the beta for Fedora that's coming out next week, which will have access to it. So you don't I even can use, use that. Gnome, yeah. Michael. Yes, I do. I use Gnome, 
on my laptop, which updates every six months. See, <laughs> six months. I told you. I knew it. Aww. Well, I mean, I just update it every six months. I mean, I could totally update it whenever I want to. It's just like, you know, yeah. I get around. You just, you're lazy but, and you get, get around to it right yeah, away. Exactly. Right? Oh. <laughs> well, I'm on Gnome 42 right now, Jill. I'm enjoying all the new experiences. Oh. See? Because so, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. So I have Garuda Linux too, Ryan. So I will get to enjoy GNOME 42 oh, yeah, probably that. in one or two weeks. And believe it or not, yes, it takes longer for Arch to put it in, in their repos at the stable release. Yeah. It takes about yes. one to two weeks. So. Sometimes Tumbleweed is like ridiculously fast on these kinds of things. They are. Yes. Really quick on that. Yep. Mm-hmm. But Arch will get it very soon too for everyone else. Um, yes. Enjoy waiting. So some of the features that we have here, a new global <laughs> dark UI style preference. This can be used Yay. to request that apps use a dark UI style instead of a light style, which is particularly important when you're using your computer at night and you get blinded by an app that doesn't want to respect the dark theme that you have there. Mm-hmm. So I love Very anything important. that tries to force the dark style yes. on there. This is something that a lot of people have been asking for for a very long time, and I am happy that it's finally here because there is, you could always do some kind of dark mode, but now that it's actually a global setting, it's very important because if I can have it globally, I want it globally, so thank you. What's really cool about this is they have this um, nightlight system thing, but this latest release of GNOME 42, in addition to the dark mode, they have a adjustable wallpaper system now. So it's like gonna mm-hmm. have a during the day it's one wallpaper, and then at night it's another wallpaper. But it also has like yeah, a you know, like a stepping stone thing. I like that. That's a cool idea. Yep. Yeah, and I really like that the the uh, GNOME's uh, new wallpapers now support the dark style preference. So yeah, yeah, your eyes won't be blinded. So not only is your foreground darker, but your background is. Yep. <laughs> Very. And nice. they have a new redesigned screenshot feature. This makes it Woo-hoo. super easy to take screenshots and screen recordings all within the same tool. That's you just cool. now nice. press your print screen button. And it interactively launches with options to capture or to record your screen right there, which I think is a very awesome inclusion into the tool. So you don't have to worry about, you know, opening the app, finding the screenshot app, launching it and doing that. You just hit print screen Mm -hmm. and you can get right to it. The one thing I noticed it didn't have, which I was kind of upset about, is a system tray. Uh, I knew indicators, it. I knew the app indicators. Yeah. Like, like I, I really wanted this I to know. be the release where they add this back. I don't know why we don't have this as a feature in GNOME. Like, I like GNOME. I've been using it for like a year now. There's so many good things, but I need my my system tray back. I need to know when apps like Discord or uh, some of the chat apps and things are actually yeah. still Element live. And my audio yeah, elements, Steam, Steam, Steam. On yeah. Jitsi, yeah. OBS. <laughs> Yeah, some of them like it. There's a there's a lot of different applications that you can't even cl- you can't even yeah. close without the system tray app menu, and it just yeah. it it blows my mind that that's not available. So I I would agree that's one of the biggest complaints I have with with GNOME is the lack of system tray, and I've seen their reasonings for it, and it's it's not good. Please convert it's not to good. Yeah, I, I know so they say that it. it's a software issue. They think that the software companies shouldn't require that. And yes, you could make that argument, and that's a hill you're dying on. 
I feel like. Yeah, you're you not going to win that argument. Yeah. <laughs> and in addition, like you use as a, as the desktop creators system indicators yourselves. We have a sound indicator. We have a Wi-Fi indicator. We have yep. a power indicator in the corner. So you find the need to use it to make things easy and accessible. Yeah, but why we'll can't apps, software yeah. developers where every other desktop environment and OS on the planet has the option, but GNOME, like. I love y'all. I use this, but you got to bring it back. Like it's it's time now. Stop. Stop fighting this battle. Stop trying to like change the world with this. Just just add it add yeah. it back. After 10 told- years, it did not work. Let's just bring it back. I know that they are working on it though. Like they we're going to build a golden bridge for you. You're not losing the battle. Yeah. You, you just you just walk over the golden bridge. We'll all celebrate it that you brought it back. Just just bring it back. Yeah. Hey, when I uh, during our meeting on Friday, I was telling Michael and Ryan, "Hey, I even have that ability in Window Maker. There is a doc app, as <laughs> a system tray, and I use it." It's it's, it's just it's yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> this has got to be one of the most requested things, and I see the developers like even be arguing on Twitter and stuff. Of you can't give me a good reason why you need this. Like, okay, then watch this show. We just gave you ten. Like, yes. please just stop it. No, so bring this back. So I agree completely. And it has been a very long time. And I just want to say that there is some movement on this. Now, there's the discussion about making a new protocol to make this work, but we don't know how long that's going to take. So that might even take a year or two or something like that. But I would like to request that the GNOME team, even without you know solving this particular problem, you're, if you have agreed that you will solve it with a new protocol or whatever, how about solve it with an extension that comes by default or just put it back in the shell like it used to be until yeah. that is fixed so that we actually have the ability to not have to jump through hoops just to have something that every other DE and every operating system user is expecting to be there. So that's yeah. that's my plea to them. I'm happy that they are discussing it and are moving towards this pro- approach because it is very important, like we like we talked that about. That is good news. They're but discussing it. Yeah, that, that it, makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might take a little. It might take a long time. So let's not wait until it's done so that we can actually solve this headache that people have. All right, I had to get that out. I'm sorry to all the GNOME users. I love GNOME. I've been using it. <laughs> yeah. I've fallen in love with it. I think it's amazing. That's just one thing, like stop dying on that hill. But anyways, let's get back to the good stuff on GNOME 42. You've got GNOME applications have an updated UI and improvements of performance all across the board mm. in GNOME mm-hmm. 42. So video is now using modern OpenGL widgets with hardware accelerated decoding, file indexing, and tracker is now faster. The GNOME browser now enables hardware accelerated rendering on Whoa. all websites. You epiphany. get two new apps. Hey. Yeah, you get two. New, <laughs> we talked about Epiphany and how much yeah. we were liking it in the prior episode as well. Two new apps in the default app set, text editor and console. Boxes, which we've all fallen Woo-hoo. in love with boxes. Yeah. Like boxes, boxes has very just... Cool. Absolutely. This was yeah. one of those apps where this is, again, where... N- Gnome went and said, hey, we're going to create this. And I was like, I don't think we need that. And then they proved me wrong. And it's amazing. I love boxes. Unlike the system tray removal in which you did that and that's okay, but now bring it back. Okay. I won't die on that hill. Right, so, <laughs> uh, the, yep, the boxes is amazing, right? Boxes is just a fantastic virtualization. I, I love software. boxes. I was actually trying to run a distro inside a virtual box just to kind of test it to see like 
you know, I needed to test something for one of the episodes we did a while back and it just wouldn't work. It was so weird, like broken features everywhere and like, what's going on? So I kind of gave up and said, well, let's just try boxes. Why not? So I tried boxes and everything worked beautifully and there was no issues. Like, yeah. Okay. And that's I nice. recommend, re- recommend boxes also to new users on, oh, on yeah. Linux to learn Perfect virtualization because it's so easy. A couple clicks and you're done yeah. and it's running. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, if you're on OpenSUSE or Arch, you will be one of the first to be able to try out GNOME 42. For the rest of you, you can let us know what you think about it in six to nine weeks. I'm <laughs> six to nine weeks? No, it's more like some distributions. We're going to wait. It's like six months. months. Yeah. You know? But I love the fact that you had another hat ready to go just to do yes. that, or just in case. You know, we yes. were going to switch topics. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so in our software spotlight this week, we're going to talk about K3B. It's been a while, but recently I found myself needing to burn some data on this artifact data storage device called a CD. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of a CD before, C-D. but these were things CD. Yeah. Mm. You, you could burn to, information mm. on them back in the mm. day. You need to oh, that, those oh, laser light storage. Yes. <laughs> yeah, laser light storage. That sounds way better. They should have called it laser light storage. Yeah, yes. that would have been way cooler. While everything has shifted to digital for the most part, there's still plenty of people who prefer some physical backups or need CDs to work with older machines or to even store music. In my case, I love different musical artists and ways to support them. And the particular musical artist decided to release a physical CD of their music for people to purchase. And I was like, this is awesome. Me and my wife both love this musician. So I bought the CD, but then she wants to play it in her car and I want to play it in my car and I only got one. So I need to make Mm -hmm. a copy of this CD. And that's where things like K3B come in. Uh, And that's why we're going to talk about this as our spotlight is a simple, powerful, highly configurable graphical optical disc burning application for audio, video, data projects and more. This is a very powerful cool tool to check out if you need to do any CD burning at all. And Jill, I'd imagine you do some CD burning. Oh yeah. Yeah. I still burn CDs. I have to have, you know, physical (laughs) backups and optical discs. I mean, I have ones that are 20 years old that are still working well. So they've tested, uh, what would you call it? The, the time, uh, deterioration. (laughs) Yeah. The data loss and deterioration. The data loss. Yeah. (laughs) That's the word I was looking for. Thank you, Ryan. (laughs) So, and I actually, I love the cute sound it makes when your disc is finished burning and ejects. It's so cute. And it has a little dancing penguin, you know. (laughs) I think this is important for developers to understand in this conversation, because when it comes to us talking about Wormhole, when it came to us talking about DuckDuckGo and its animation for the flame, and we talked about K3B here and the cute little sounds and things that it makes, did those those little things, those little touches mm-hmm. leave an impression in people and it makes you remember that app? Just doing mm-hmm. something little like a specialized sound, a cute animation or things make those those apps really stand Absolutely. out. Some makes it more fun. Think about. I love that. Yeah. That's a point. That's a good point. And Absolutely. I think that people should check out K3B. It's a very powerful um, application. When I first used uh, Linux, I was using um, some other CD burner stuff. And then I switched to KDE Plasma. By the way, it's made by KDE. K3B is made by KDE. Yes. And <laughs> when, when I switched to it and I actually tried K3B for the first time, I was like, oh my goodness, how have I not had this before? It does everything. And yeah. it still does, and it's mm-hmm. fantastic, so check it out. Oh, gosh, you can burn music, you can ver- burn DVD data. 
Like when I when 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 I first looked at these lists of things that it could have, it's like okay, you can burn a CD, you can burn all sorts of stuff, and also video CDs if anyone still has it. And then instantly, like Jill, you still have yeah. one, right? Oh yes. 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 Okay. <laughs> I so. still have uh, probably about forty different video CDs. Perfect. <laughs> all right. So next in the show, we're going to get into the tip of the week, and that is Inksy. I N X I. I'm not sure if you that's how yes. supposed to say it, but Inksy. I like to say yeah. it. Inksy. Inksy. Cute. Yeah. All right. So Inksy uh, allows you to do all sorts of stuff. You can tr- find information about your hardware. You can find information about like they. They most importantly, what we're talking about today is the sensor control. So you basically simply type Inksy I N X I dash or space dash S, and that's it. And you can get information to display your computer's uh, CPU and GPU temperatures, all with that super simple command, and you can easily remember, and it gives you that. But you can also do all sorts of other stuff to get information about your hardware. So check out Inksy. It's very powerful. I used to use one called uh, HW Info, which would just list yeah. like a ton oh, of yeah. stuff. This makes it look good. It's got nice colors, organization for like the labels of the values, all sorts of stuff. Inksy. Is very cool, so check it out. I will. I will mention that you need LM sensors for Inksy to pick up, obviously, the mm-hmm. CPU and graphical temperatures. And in OpenSUSE specifically, it's just called sensors, and that threw me for a few minutes of research to figure out why LM sensors was nowhere in SUSE that I could find because it's just sensors in SUSE, not LM sensors, sensors like it is yeah. other places. So if you're on OpenSUSE, check that out. If you're in Arch. It's LM sensors. All right. <laughs> of course. Uh, for those who are watching the or listening to the audio podcast, uh, Ryan decided to put another hat again on for Arch. When he, every time he says Arch, it's a requirement that he puts on a hat, apparently. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking Arch. about, Michael. Arch? I need to get a fedora hat. That's what I need to do. Yeah. Or an go. actual fedora. Maybe that. I'll just get an actual fedora. That would be really dope there, getting yeah. an actual fedora. Well, as much as we love hanging out with everyone, that's it. That's the end of the show. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And we're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat. We also have our awesome patrons with us right now in the patron-only uh, it's a virtual stadium. It's actually a 75,000 square foot digital stadium. It's grown since last week and they get wow. to, they get to enjoy us during the show and have conversations in, but before the show because that happens every week, but also after the show we have our patron only post show which is just an awesome amount of fun. So if you would like to join that, go to destinationlinux.org/patreon to sign up. Also if you want to use sponsors, you can use that instead of Patreon, but there's the well, the links at the website. And you also get access to unedited versions of the show and a lot of other perks that we just don't have time to discuss, right? Because, you know, there's just way too many. But now I also want to tell you something else that there's way too many to list everything. And that is the the awesome swag at the DLN store. So go to dlnstore.com. You can pick up some great swag like the Linux 91 t-shirt that Ryan is wearing, the, the mug for the Destination Linux, the coasters, the 30, 33% more Jill stuff. It's all sorts of great stuff. We got hoodies, t-shirts, mugs, stickers, ev- everything you can imagine. Okay, not everything you can Im- A lot of things that you can imagine. <laughs> nearly are, everything. Me- nearly everything. <laughs> DealInStore.com. <laughs> and make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, 
that's on Michael's shirt, <laughs> the logo for it. That's true. This, this Week in Linux, the DOS Geek channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and put your cowboy hats on and join our Saturday Linux user group, Linux Saloon. Everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these wonderful shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome, so awesome sauce. And everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Love you. Most of you. There we go. <laughs> it has to be in there. I'm so glad you mentioned the Pseudo Show shirt because I had yeah, forgotten that I was wearing it. You forgot for a you were wearing it. <laughs> yeah. It's because it's so comfortable, I didn't even think about it. I did yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> DylanStore.com. <laughs>